This is Game Theory, a podcast about competition, strategy, and decision-making, hosted by me, Nick Andrews, and my brother, Chris. In this episode, we have a job opening, but is it real? The last time you were looking for a job, a real job, where you put your skills, training, experience, and education to use. So the last time you were looking... Did it feel like you were just throwing resumes and cover letters into the void? Well, it turns out that you maybe kind of were. A new survey from the Wall Street Journal found that there are a significant number of companies out there posting job openings that simply don't exist or that they have no intention of filling. These are called ghost jobs. While the reasons for doing this are bad, they do make sense. But how can so many people be out of work in the tech industry while unemployment is this low? And if unemployment is this low, how can we be in a labor shortage? Something's got to be off here. Maybe it's time to distinguish between a job opening and a career opening. Maybe the labor market isn't what it seems at all. And welcome to episode 70 Trace of Game Theory, a podcast about competition, strategy, and decision-making. Hold up. We have some news to announce. Something really important has happened. Just, just hold the phone. Holding. Over the weekend, Chris became a godfather. That's right. On this, the day of a podcast recording... Godfather. I can only play 30 seconds of the music, otherwise we get uh, in deep trouble. So <laughs> that, that, there good. it is. I did. Yeah, I became a godfather over yeah. the weekend. Uh, one of the great joys of my lifetime. Mm. I spent some time around the future wife's family, so the future in-laws. And it was spectacular. I was on the shore of Lake Ontario. I don't know if you've ever been up there. It's incredible. Those lakes are they are great. They're just great lakes. <laughs> it's the fourth greatest lake. It's the second least, the second most forgettable. The one that people forget about is Huron. Like, oh yeah, that's a one. It looks pretty big. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, wh- which is crazy because the the acronym Homes. I mean, Homes begins with H. Yeah. Huron, Ontario, Michigan, Erie, and what's the other one? I forget. Gitchagumi. Gitchagumi. That's exactly right. So you became a godfather over the weekend, and I on Monday played the greatest round of golf of my life, and. uh Okay. 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 What's yeah. that guy's name? Block. Block. Michael Block. Yeah, the guy from the, the the course pro from the PGA Championship, which is really cool. I did. So I played by myself, but I was watched on six of the eighteen holes, including three of the best holes, which is the most incredible thing. Sometimes when you're playing by yourself and you play through people, it's the most pressure I've ever been under in my entire life. It's like because they've teed off, and then you're going up there and you're teeing off, and they're watching you tee off, and they're like we're gonna let this guy go through it. So if you suck, they'll be like, wow, we shouldn't let this asshole go through. Fuck him. But they like did. He's fast, but he's bad. And I nailed it. It was amazing. So you became a godfather. You tra- you you traveled to Canada essentially. Yeah, basically. Yeah. Like uh, Canada was visible at certain points during the course of the trip. It's right over there. It it is right over it there. Is. Yeah. It was just. It, I mean, it was, it's right there. Yes. So um, did we? We downloaded Fable, so we're still kicking around the idea of a book club. That we should do. Should we all do Malcolm Gladwell books and just talk shit on Malcolm Gladwell? I would happily dunk on Malcolm Gladwell. He's got some interesting stories, and like he does use real data like he's not making that stuff up and he actually does real interviews just sometimes the conclusions he draws are 
I don't know. It, it, it feels like he's trying to get right gotcha journalism, but you can only gotcha somebody so many times. He has like, I don't know, 3,000 anecdotes per book to try to prove this like larger thematic point. Yeah. The points are amorphous and kind of, they feel like oldie worldy wives tales well. folklore, but for people who have their MBA. Yeah, so I definitely think that Malcolm Gladwell is fascinating in that like, it's not untrue, but it's not like fact the way he presents. Yeah. Like, here's an anecdote to back this up. But what I yeah, have to say not, is that it, it's not. He's not. He's, he's he's not making it up. But it's also like okay, come if on. If you go back and read it, you you can feel the podcast coming. Like oh, this guy's a podcaster. Oh, 100%. <laughs> like, yeah, he's a what? podcaster before like audio yeah. existed. It's like you want to go to the local radio station, have a radio show. No, I'd rather just write down my thoughts so they're available in perpetuity. Nobody's ever going to find this podcast. No. Other than mom and dad. No. God. And and I doubt I, I that's probably only only fifty percent of that is going to actually. Find in fact, it. If you're listening to this and you realize these guys are morons, moron compoops. Then you mm-hmm. start your own podcast with podcasts for Spotify uh, at podcasters for Spotify, Spotify for podcasters dot com. Link is good. available on Google. If you Google it, you can find it yourself. Um, <laughs> it is it's dangerously easy to get started on Spotify it for is, podcasters. That's why everybody that looks like us with no talent has done it. That's right, <laughs> and, and and to be clear. We have far less talent than anybody else that's using this platform, and we can figure it out. Yes. Um, a couple things, a couple notes, some house cleaning notes. Um, thing number one is that we were just talking about strikes with our WGA episode, and on Monday, I think at midnight or some annoying time, whenever strikes happen, a unionized group of resident physicians at one of New York's hospitals went on strike. Um, the residents struck at the hospital. It's a... Safety net hospital, that's for people that are uninsured and underinsured. This is where a lot of, like, very poor gunshot wounds and overdoses will go. It was also, if you had to power rank hospitals on planet Earth that are open to the media that were hit by COVID, this would be number one. Um, When New York first, this is the epicenter of the epicenter, as the physicians called it. So they went on strike, and hospitals like that are the hospitals you think, they're like, well... This isn't going to work for doctors if they don't go on strike at places like uh, UCLA and Stanford and MD Anderson. No, it's going to work here because residents are forced to do more there. They also make less money. So it's a whole thing. So we said that was going to happen. And so we're going to see how this plays out today. Uh, as you listen to this, is like they have barely been on strike for somewhere between 24 and 36 hours. So we're going to see. I'm sure that things are going to be bad. The other thing, one other note, Chris, is that uh, the return to the office work from home life is continuing to fail, but only in these United States of America. Yeah. It seems to be the situation that for, I I don't, I don't understand what the full motivation is for large companies to try to get everybody back into the office. I don't know if it's that they want their employees to have less money in their pocket from commuting. I don't know if it's because they want their employees to be much less balanced with their work in their life. I don't know if it's because they owe a lot of rent on the office spaces that they have and they can't really justify continuing that rent. So they're getting pressure from the property owner to try to fill yeah. up the office space. I don't know what it is, but for whatever reason, a lot of people are really pushing to get workers back into the office and they're trying to cut down on remote work. To me, it feels like we're just backsliding. I mean, I, I thought, I thought kind of one of the benefits of being an information economy is that people can work from anywhere. Right. We have a smaller impact on the environment. We are much more productive and much more efficient because we're not wasting time in commutes. People are safer because they're not having to risk their lives. They're actual risking their lives on the interstate every day. True. That, that sounds true. like an exaggeration. Like I'm, I, I complain about traffic, but genuinely, it, people are safer 
if they don't have to go from A to B every single That's day. That's a really good point. Do you remember in COVID when everyone's like, it's way more dangerous to drive your car? It's like, well, you're belittling yes. the point. COVID is still dangerous. And the, but we are burying the lead. Like, a lot of people die in cars, and there are laws. And, like, there's still people dying at a preposterous level. We discussed it, we discussed it on the, the traffic, show. Yeah. When traffic was low, you, you think, okay, there's less traffic. Actually, you know what? Maybe we're wrong here. Maybe Ooh, we're backing ourselves into a corner probably, here because probably. when traffic was super low during COVID, people got in... Fewer wrecks, but they died more often yeah. because people were driving like absolute maniacs on the road. So the Just risk of crazy, getting caught by the cops doesn't make you safe, but the risk of getting run off the road makes you drive safer. That's interesting. If there are too many people, you physically can't be an asshole. And you can't build up a bunch of speed yeah. and just like cruise through stop signs and stuff like that. True. That's a fact. That's an interesting point. That's a, a, a paradoxical situation. Maybe we should look into that one of these years. The other thing is that I think, so Asia is a little different because, and you know more about Asia than I do. I think that you've been kind of curious about different books and uh, Chinese culture and Japanese culture over the years. I have yet to be fascinated by that part of the world. But I'm sure that it will happen to me. That's a, those it's are like collectivist societies. It's, it's not a question of if, it's when. Yeah, I'm going to get happen to Japanese you. culture for sure and probably Chinese as well. Um, it's just so much, old, like it just feels so much much older and more grand. I mean, Japan and China are modern countries by in every sense of the yeah. word. The governments are modern. No matter what the Chinese Communist Party tells you, they're not reaching back to 6,000 years of civilization. <laughs> but there is that connection, and America is just like a really young country. The traditions well, we aren't as well preserved. We completely genocided all the cool shit that was happening here before that time. But and they didn't Well, and, and all, the, all the cool shit that was happening here before that time came over from Asia on the land bridge. So well, it was already coming from like established that's, like settlements. Then, uh, see, this is, why, this is why the internet is ruining things is because there has been breakthroughs that we think that the oldest living or the oldest human artifact may have been in Los Angeles but there's, that's currently being debated. Happened, it the was oldest human artifact is in Los Angeles? It was, it was discovered. Uh, so California used to be a utopia the same way as China used to be, and then the Rift Valley created a desert, and then the Ice Ages and all that kind of stuff. They think it's like about 1.8 million years old, and it's being debated as to whether or not this well, is for, like evidence of a tool or whatever. Okay, evidence of a tool. Yeah, I believe evidence of a tool strongly exists this in Southern California. Is, is evidence of a tool, yes. I also, I'm, I'm pretty sure Henry Kissinger has a house there, so I guess the oldest human artifact oh, is nice. in California. <laughs> Got him. Nice. But, but th there's uh, 1.8 million years. I'm sorry. I, I just, I can't stand by, and like that's like orders of magnitude off of uh, of this. But, yes. th but that's, we're, yes, we're getting so is. far yes. away from. So Asia is a collectivist society. A lot, the, a part of uh, existing as a human being in large parts of Asia is being a sum of the, the, the whole, whereas the West believes very aggressively in individuality, and that can be traced back to religion and culture that's like thousands of years old. So that is a different thing. In Europe, the theory is that people, uh, A, don't hate their jobs, B, don't hate their bosses, and C, don't feel like they have to work there so they can go. The other thing is that their homes are not as big as homes in America because of the land stuff. So we can work at home comfortably, but a lot of people to feel productive and happy, they want to go to the office and feel as if that they can be productive there, like they can have this good balance, and they're encouraged to take you know, 40 days off of vacation. They all summer, the entire summer, they're just gone. They just go to Portugal for two months. Um, they, so they, they do that. The, the, third, the, the other thing is that there's, there's mass transit, and in places that people aren't returning to work, it's because they have a better situation at home. And they have mass transit. It's the commuting thing. So I, I actually think we should do a, a, an episode about San Francisco. I genuinely think San Francisco is going to be like not ancient Rome fall level, but th this is a, it's going to be enormous. It's not going to get better because if you live in California, why, why wouldn't you not stay in your awesome house on a hill overlooking the beach or the river or whatever? Why would you go to San Francisco in a car? On purpose, like you live in Northern California, just stay at your house. California is objectively awesome. Why would you go into San Francisco? 
Yeah, that, that's a really interesting question. I, I feel like San Francisco is such a lightning rod, too, for people who want to, like, I, I feel like a lot of conversations in the public space about San Francisco are somebody trying to make a political point. Yeah. And, and I we're not trying much, to do that. No, I think we're it's not, much simpler. We're not doing that. that here. Yeah, I think it. I think it's much simpler than that. And when I say like this public program or that, and the liberals and the what, whatever the lawlessness, it's a result of people being priced out. Obviously, people are being priced out now because there's no economy within metropolitan San Francisco, and there's no economy in metropolitan San Francisco because people that do the high level work don't want to fucking live there anymore. They live in Nashville now. They don't want to go there. Uh, yo, for real. Yeah, like literally, that's what happened. And that's a good segue, Chris. We today. We are talking about bullshit jobs that are fake, mostly because the tech sector continues to see casualty after casualty after casualty. It's amazing. They cut all these jobs in the middle of the first quarter, and then they report their first quarter earnings. They're like, look at all the money we made. Like, yeah, when you get a couple million off your balance sheet, you guys are super profitable. Look at that stock price. Unbelievable. Yeah, it's really really impressive accounting on the part of the accountants who looked at the spreadsheets sure. and not at the livelihoods of the people that they laid off. So the, the we've talked about on the show before the – the possibility that the tech sector is experiencing a social contagion on the basis of Elon Musk's midlife crisis. <laughs> so that dude has fully lost his marbles. Yeah. They're scattered all over the internet for everybody to see in really embarrassing fashion. But one of the things that he did was gut Twitter right away. And by gut, I mean just really, really predatory firing practices. No regard for seniority, no regard for any real performance other than like being extremely hardcore. Like he was using extremely arbitrary measures to get people out of the organization and in doing so save a lot of money. And people that on the boards of large tech companies can look at that and say, well, Elon Musk was able to cut spending on cut costs for employees by like 50% and still remain profitable. So why aren't we able to do that? And so the upper, upper managers at the organization who have to prove their own metrics and they have to be successful to their managers and eventually to like the Zuckerbergs and the Jeff Bezoses and the whomever else's of the world, they have to have some kind of justification for their own existence and cost cutting at a time when there's not real, there's not like the really crazy revolutionary innovation. I think in tech, it's a lot more incremental. Like we talked about on the show before, innovation is becoming much more, much more granular. We're seeing smaller and smaller steps, and we've talked about it with like scientific discoveries, but that's also happening in the applications for technology in the, in the tech sector. COVID changed a lot of things, and that caused a huge upheaval in the way that we had to approach business, but that has largely cooled. I mean, the COVID pandemic is officially over. WHO right. said it's no longer a global emergency. It's not a health emergency anymore, and times have kind of changed. They've kind of slowed. So if you're a super high-level executive and you're trying to impress daddy, sorry, I mean Mark Zuckerberg, <laughs> and you need to figure out a way to make your numbers look really good because that's the only language they all speak together, what you can do is try to ax a bunch of people from your payroll, save a lot of money, and say, look, the balance is in the black. We're making a lot of money. We're really profitable. Are you innovating? No. Are you making cool new products well nothing that we haven't really made before but look how much money we're saving and that's just more money in the pockets of the executives and it looks good and you can get a gold star and get a fat raise and do all this other kind of stuff so the tech sector has had this kind of social contagion where they need to just slough off a bunch of employees and i'm sure this will come back around to where tech the big tech companies are doing good and useful and valuable things again but that's just not where we're at right now. And it happens to coincide with a very strange labor shortage, question mark, 
in the U.S. Nick, you heard about that? Uh, the labor shortage in the United States. I'm aware of the Have labor shortage. Have you heard about shor- that? Yeah, I've heard about it. Have you heard about it? Yeah, I've heard about it. I've heard about it to the tune of, for example, <laughs> according to the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics, the unemployment rate in April 2023. 3%, right? 3.4%. That's so bad. for So for reference, for those of you like boomer millennials out there who are in your 30-somethings or late 20-somethings or early 40-somethings who remember trying to graduate college around the time of the worst job market ever of ever all time. in the history of the world, yeah, sure. This like earth-shattering like it's geopolitically significant financial crisis that happened in 2008 and the years following the, the aftershocks that still continued and the huge bailouts and all that kind of stuff. Unemployment in the United States peaked at 11.8% nationwide. Yeah. So if for, for context, economists will tell you that double digit unemployment is like pandemonium. Like that is it's crazy. Like, that's one. In, that's in a the U S in the U S yes. In the U S in the U S um, I think that during the Great Depression, it was like in the 20s. I could be wrong. I'm not a historian. <laughs> I mean, we could Google it, but I don't know why, why we would do that. I do know that economists will tell you that double digits is where shit gets insane. And that becomes a slippery slope to 20 and 30% unemployment, which is like, that's chaos. That's martial law. Well, and it's, it's scary for people because it, what, it, what unemployment that high means for people functionally is that there's not really a guarantee that they're going to be able to secure their own future. Right. They're not going to be able to reliably provide for their families, provide for their kids, protect themselves in the future. There's no protection for their source of income. There's no protection for their retirement. All the the, the lifestyles that people live are going to take a hit, but also people's like genuine ability to survive. I mean, unemployment rate rises correspond to huge increases in mortality death, rates death and it's like it's a known thing all throughout history it's like when people don't have jobs they're just there are more all cause deaths and that means violent crimes drug related we call them deaths of despair like overdoses mm-hmm. and things like that suicides um, but then also like actual disease and can't afford for health care and like they're just people die more when they can't work we have a, we need to have a sense of purpose there needs to be a reason to get up in the morning and you need to literally eat food so I do know this. When I was studying to be a uh, general uh, educated person, um, <laughs> that's by the way, that's a that's an official term. Player three, Nick yeah. is actually a bachelor of general education, general I, studies, general studies. And I'll be honest with you, I think um, it was I'm more well educated and equipped to be a journalist than people who study journalism. I think that, you're much more well rounded now than you were at your wedding, for example. Mm. All right, sorry, I take that back. You know what? I'm sorry. Wait, 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 wait. There it is. Okay. Very good. Got it. I, I, t- I take it all back. Mm. But but the, the context that we're providing here with the, the reason that we mentioned the 11.8% figure that nationwide unemployment peak, and it was different all over the place. I mean, Sweetwater County in Wyoming, where we're from, it, it, it never really got over 5%. The, yeah. the, the economy is just a little bit insulated there. But that's a very, very, very tiny slice of a very large problem for, for the rest of the country. And right now... The unemployment rate of 3.4% in April, that's a 50-year low. Unemployment has not been this low since the early 1970s, pre-Reagan days. Yep. It's, It's just shocking to me. So when you see numbers like that and you hear labor shortage... You think, okay, this this is starting to make sense. A lot of people who are eligible to work are working. A lot of people have their jobs locked down. So if businesses are trying to grow, they need to hire people. They need to bring more people into the organization to do the work, to generate the value. It makes a lot of sense with low unemployment. There's a there's a lack of available employment. 
the U.S. Chamber of Commerce has numbers on this, so we can be a little bit more precise this time. According to the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, uh, last week they wrote this article. There's a huge shortage of, of jobs to the tune of 9.9 million job openings in the U.S. And so that's like if a business has a position available, they want to hire somebody for it, the U.S. Chamber of Commerce collects data on that information, 9.9 million job openings in the U.S. However, with our 3.4% unemployment rate, only 5.8 million unemployed workers. That's a difference of 4.2 million open jobs. So if everybody, if, if all 3.4% of the eligible workforce was able to get a job today, there would still be 4 million jobs open where employers are trying to get more money. And so that raises some questions for us. Like, how is it possible that we have record high inflation, record high earnings, record low unemployment rates, and there's still this like crisis of labor. But then on the other hand, you have huge sectors of the economy, like this information, highly modern, the most advanced economy in the world. How is it that the most advanced sector in that economy is just slashing jobs left and right? <sighs> it, it, the, the two things don't really make a lot of sense to me. And I, and I think it, it draws a couple of key distinctions. And you mentioned one before we were recording. Mm. Did the I, difference I said between smart? Oh, yeah, help me. the jobs market oh, and, and a career. Oh, and a career, yes. There is a difference between a job and a career. So, like, there are available jobs, yes. If you want to, like, and people always talk shit on flipping burgers. If you want to flip burgers, if you want to do uh, menial tasks, and I, I read a book in, in history class, and I, will, I think people should read this book. This would be a great first book for our book club. It actually might be on my book. Let's do it. By Let's the way, it. we'll talk about the books in a minute. Remind me to talk about my books. There's a, there's a nightmare happening behind me. Um, oh, God. Yeah, there really is. So this, the, the distinction between a career and a job is super important. For a career, two things have to be true, in my opinion. Number one is that you have a skill that is replicatable in multiple economies. Like anywhere in the world, theoretically, I can write in the English language in a way that is meant to be read by people who need to read it. That is my skill. I have other skills. I can do tech stuff, and I can do these programs and shipping. My number one skill is communicating in the English language at a high level. That's what I do for a living. That is my career. And I've done it for important people. I've done it for non-important people. We're here. I, I mean, I'm not our audience. They're important. Right. You're player, player two, three. You're the most important audience that Nick has ever had. Correct. But po point taken, you can do it across right. a variety of, like you can do it in, in written word. You've written a lot of things. Yes, You've exactly. recorded a lot of things. That's, you you, can, you can communicate it. That's a, that's a replicable skill no matter where you go. Right. Exactly. So for when I have like I've been laid off uh, twice now and it happens to people in media because it's easy to expend that and you can just like do listicles and it's easy to fill that time, which is another disaster that we're going to do the downfall of American journalism because um, I know exactly what happened. I, it's but we'll do that later. The it was other that yellow journalism coming out of the Kansas City Star. Mm, the people used to care the about the news, and now people don't want to pay for it. And as a result of it, it's fake. So how about that? That's fucking crazy. So whoops. But when I get laid off, I freelance and some some weeks freelancing was good and some weeks freelancing was bad to supplement that and make sure I could live my life as a recent college graduate. I worked at a liquor store and I thought I'm working at a liquor store. The majority of this is total bullshit. Like I'm just, just taking stuff and putting it on a shelf. And if you do that at a high enough level, maybe you'll make it enough money to kind of feed your family or whatever. And if both parents did that, you could see how like you could theoretically get by depending on where you live. It wouldn't be great, but I'm irrelevant. Like, I'm hireable by anybody who needs me to put shit on shit and then watch people buy it. And I, I resigned myself to learn as much about the industry as possible, to learn something to take away. But even then, there's no real path for me to go up. You, this working up the ladder shit, that's kind of done. 
in the 80s, this started to happen in the United States of America. We went from, from a skilled economy to just a do-the-bitch-work economy. And that is kind of where these difference between the jobs and the careers are. Anybody can do any of this. If you like, when you apply to these jobs, do you have a driver's license? Can you lift 50 pounds? Like that's the requirements where like, if you wanted to apply that a job that I have now, you would have to prove that you've done the things that they need you to do. They made me take a test. I wrote, I did the test in an hour. It's a whole thing. But if you wanted to go literally, there are hundreds of thousands of jobs where if you walked into the store at open, they would have you in a uniform in 20 minutes if you wanted it. That's really, really impressive. And it, this would have been what mid twenty tens when I was when I was a liquor store. Yeah, I worked at the liquor store when Trump was elected. So that is the fall, late summer, fall of twenty sixteen, and then I signed on with the NFL in February. Man, remember twenty sixteen? What a year! It was a lot going on. Uh, <laughs> that is for sure. That's when I met we, the. We missus. talked about Pokemon Go last week, right? Yeah, that's when Pokemon Go happened. I remember because there is a. A, a tiny little national park where there's a battleground in the uh, United States Revolutionary War in New Jersey, and it's a gross part of New Jersey. No disrespect to South Jersey. But I found a a dragon one. God, I have Dragonite maybe there? Yeah, it was it was cool. I played Pokemon Go for two weeks, and then I was like, I actually don't want... I just would rather play Halo. <laughs> I can't, Yeah, I got my fill of that. I mean, I would rather sit on my keister and play video right. games, which I have been doing quite a lot you and so, everybody else people zelda has kind of ruined the productivity of america but yes so the the difference between a career and a job is important and the careers are more valuable than jobs now i want to be very very clear about the following manual labor and menial jobs are not the same thing and this is sort of the distinction that we're drawing one who digs ditches is not the same as one who flips burgers at a fast food chain. Like, and there is some skill and you need to be trained at McDonald's. It is not the same thing as doing manual labor that you need to be trained for. So for example, like in our home community where there are miners and drillers and people that work at plants, that's not a menial, menial job. That is a career. You have a replicatable. It's not the same level as being the guy who knows how the machine works, but it's a career. And as a result of that, you're rewarded with insurance. You're rewarded with retirement. You're rewarded. The compensation for these menial jobs is so low because it could not possibly be more replaceable. However, during the pandemic, when everybody moved in with each other, we're now starting to see in America that it's sort of like Europe and parts of Latin America where there are three generations in a household and people are kind of chill. They're kind of fine with that right now because houses are so expensive. You're like, well, why would I not live with my parents? And if the parents are reasonable parents, they make you pay a little rent and they make you contribute. They're not just like funding you. Why would you go do menial shit when you could just be patient and get a career instead why would you throw because the other thing about working at the liquor store that i learned was if you have a big week of shifts there's not that much time left for me to do this freelancing stuff and to really work on my career like that's the drain and i think that people are kind of if they can live and eat at the beginning on one side of the political spectrum there was a lot of accusations that well they're just living off of the the stimulus money and in a lot of cases that was true and they didn't have to pay rent but now that's that time is up and now people are still not going to work they just don't want to do the bitch work anymore well and i i think that is that is one element among many that mm -hmm. changed with the pandemic mm -hmm. uh, so so the chamber of commerce dives into this labor shortage and they say there are a number of factors at play almost all of which came from the pandemic so when people were not going out in the early phases of the pandemic so in the first few months in 2020 when everybody was panicked everybody was locked down middle class people were hiding in their homes to get food deliveries from working class people that period of time was really hard on a lot of businesses because people were just not going out and spending money. 
and people were also getting like stimulus checks so they could cover their losses for that. But what it meant was that Americans added four trillion dollars to savings accounts. They've, they've, they have added four trillion dollars to their savings accounts between now and 2020. Right. So all that money that they're not spending in the economy, that's making them a little bit more safe, a little bit more secure financially. And so they don't have to necessarily there, – there isn't the same level of urgency when it comes to unemployment because their nest egg is going to protect them from for a little bit longer. Now, it's it's not – that's not to say like, well, you know, I saved some money during the pandemic. I never need to work again. That's not the case. But it does make it a lower level. It's It's not an emergency – if you get laid off and if you have a lot of money saved up. And because of the pandemic, a lot of people were spending less, and so they saved more. Yeah. Another factor that the Chamber of Commerce lists here is early retirements. Pandemic hits, somebody says, yeah, I was going to retire in 2021, but I'm just tired of working now. I don't want to deal with all this crap, and I can put up with this for another year and a half. I'm going to retire. Yep. Uh, three million adults, three million Americans went into early retirement. That's a, that's a good chunk of the workforce. I mean, if all of those people were still working and – you know, th- th- this isn't a direct comparison. You can't really do this. But if all of those people were still working today, then theoretically there could be like only 6.9 million job openings in the U.S. Yeah, statistically that's about right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and and and, and like I said, you know, people get hired during that time. And this was from, this is 2023. We're talking about something that happened in 2020. So obviously not the same deal. But 3 million is a significant number of people. There was also a problem with childcare. Yeah, so there's a there's a lack of access to high quality affordable childcare. I think that's generally true in the U.S., but it also has a disproportionate effect on the degree to which women are able to participate in the workforce. So yes. when kids are at home, kids had to go to school virtually. They had to be watched by somebody who wasn't a teacher and who wasn't like managing a classroom full of children. People can't participate in the workforce as readily or as uh, easily. So the lowest the, the lowest rates of women participation in the labor force are actually happening right have actually happened in spring of 2020. Yeah. Three and a half million mothers left their jobs. It's a, well, so spring of 2020 is of course a unique time and we all, we're all mm-hmm. adapting and they have to, and you're sure. just like, well, how are we going to do this and take care of kids and what are we going to do? Um, also it's incredibly, that was in the early days of the virus um, in the pandemic when we didn't know what we didn't know by the time summer rolled around, we kind of knew who was at risk and how to do the safety and outdoors and Listerine and all the things that can kind of prevent stuff. But back then you're like, my kid, I'm not, my kids are not going to go to childcare. I'm not going to risk their lives for doing that, which is like objectively the smart thing to do. I and mean, if you're a good parent and all of that, but then they didn't go back to work. Now the craziest thing in America is that women who want to work, even to do simple tasks like work at Target, for example, they sit down with their families when they're having children and they look at what daycare and things will cost. And they're like, it is literally more expensive for me to have a job. Yes. Yeah, it, because of all the additional costs that go yeah. with the logistics of having to attend that job, mm-hmm. the child care, the child care. gas yeah. money, the additional time spent away from the kids, all that stuff adds up to a financial burden rather than financial no security. No question. Yeah, so... But and that's almost never the case in normal circumstances. But like we said, almost all of this came from the pandemic. And then the last thing that the Chamber of Commerce talks about was Nick. Do you remember the Great Resignation? I remember people talking about that, which is just like people quitting. Yeah, a lot of people quitting. So in in a in an economy like this one, that's highly advanced, that's based largely on information, where people can afford to work remotely. Most people are like idea pushers. They're not like thing makers. People yeah. aren't aren't building as much in America. And uh. more of what the U.S. economy looks like is people like you and me 
pushing symbols around on a keyboard and generating value that way. I think about that all the time. People in people in social media and and tech companies work that way. People in finance work that way. It's a really it's a sign of a highly developed economy, but it also has the effect of when work has to go remote, suddenly the power is in the hands of people who are no longer like tied to a physical location in an office. They realize, yeah. hey, you know, maybe this work isn't for me or maybe this job isn't for me if I have to stay here. And I can I can take a step back and say, well, you know, what's what's really important to me in the face of this like catastrophic disaster that the entire world is experiencing at the same time. Right. So just millions and millions of people resigned during the period between late 2020, really. This this started to happen in, in late 2020, but really 2021. Uh, and today, 2023, uh, you know, just 4.2 million people quit their jobs in November 2022 alone. Yeah. So that was like, what, six months ago? Yes. Um, and it's, it got worse and worse and worse. And they're, 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 again, this fine line between a career and a job. Also, people are, I guess, more aggressively skeptical slash angry at their employers in general. So like the idea of yep. two weeks notice is over. People will work for 90 days and they just not show up. There is no respect between employee and employer. And I, I got to be honest with you. I, I go back and forth on the ethics of that. I think it should be a shine of respect, but there's no law that says your employer uh, has to keep you on for two weeks. If you tell them two weeks notice, they can just fire you. They can be like, oh, actually, we don't want you then. We'll just leave now. Why, why would we pay you to just like get in the way for two weeks? So that I go back and forth on that kind of thing. But yes, people quit. They don't want to do it anymore. And I don't know where all of this money is coming from. I suspect that there are a lot of multi-tri-generational households that solves a number of problems. If you have a good relationship with your parents, the reason a lot of people think, well, nobody wants to go out on their own. Yeah, but let me tell you something. The family unit is do it seems like it's not doing better than it's ever done right now because of like vibes and all of these kids. It's, you know, like, but the family unit for the boomers kind of sucked. There were a lot of marriages and families that were based on people just getting married for convenience and the parents hate each other. The kids didn't experience a loving family. But now millennials and Gen Zers were, were raised by people who loved them and who often love each other, which is kind of crazy for a previous generation. So there's it's not shitty for anybody to live at home. There are, of course, plenty of counterexamples. Right. Well, who was who was who was the comedian? Was it uh, it wasn't Mitch Hedberg? Was it? He's yeah, like, yeah, fifty yeah, percent of marriage married people get divorced. So it's either you or your wife. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. So then now, like that, married people are getting married for love, and that women can work, and then they can choose partners that they want to be with, and then men are kind of doing that as well. It's not weird to live at home. You, your parents love each other, and they love you, and they they're happy to have you as long as you don't take all their money. And like it, it works for a lot of people. Not to mention, yeah. if you're going to reproduce, if you have four bedroom house. And you're, as you say, there's the grandparents, parents, and a kid, three generations. The parents, the grandparents can take care of the kid. Yeah, it, it's, like, it's remarkable. It's, yes. it's almost like all of human civilization everywhere of all time has done that, except crazy. for like the last 200 years. Right. Crazy. So let's get into the crux of this episode, Chris, which is this crazy fucking thing. It took us 30 minutes to get here, but here we are. The Wall Street Journal did a survey of HR people, and let me crack my knuckles at this. There's some things going on. There's some things that are afoot. But before we do that, are we taking a break? No, I'm going to tell you about the disaster going on behind me. I have, oh, and you've been to my place. I live in a what used to be a factory. My, my wife and I have a ruined porn fetish. We love this kind of stuff. Like we live in an old factory. This is the second time we've lived in an old thing that's now been repurposed to apartments. The windows here. Are second time you've lived in an old thing that's been repurposed to apartments. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah your previous place was like it was like a firehouse. Firehouse with a it was a horse stable that's been turned because back in the day they didn't have cars. Yeah. Ah, uh, yeah. yeah it's pretty cool. Yeah, but they didn't have the fire trucks. They had like horse drawn wagons Carriages, with like yeah. buckets of water. Correct. Yep. So the windows here 
amazing, like of the wall, which is my ceilings are probably 20 feet high, no joke. Um, here, I no, can it's, it's, it's high. Look it's cr- like, look, look at how vertical that is. It's crazy. Um, and I love the look here and my setup and all of this kind of stuff. The sun has raped my books. They're all sunburned. And I just realized like right. a week or two ago, and I'm like, because I love them as decorations. My vibe with books has been if I read the book and I like it, I'll buy it as a decoration. There's art. The physical book can be art. I will buy the that's book a good, twice. That's a good philosophy. The sun has ruined some of them, and I, it's, it's too late. Like, there's nothing to be done. Like, it's just, so I, I put the shades down real quick, and I looked at them, and I'm like, whatever. It's done. It's done. It's done. It doesn't matter anymore. Some of them survived, but most of them didn't. Alas. Okay. This HR survey and fake jobs. So we have noticed in this capitalist society, companies must do one thing, and that is grow constantly, which is obviously stupid. That's not how anything works at all, is the well, conservation. Well, well oh, hold on. Hold on. That is how things work. If, if, if businesses aren't growing, they're dying. If organizations aren't growing, they're dying. Lou Holtz mm. said, if people aren't growing, you're dying. And, is and he that growing largely, right now? Or what's that? Hey, is Lou Holtz, the old coach from Notre Dame, would we call him growing? Well, <laughs> okay, cool. he had a phase of tremendous growth. Yeah, we're all dying, Chris. No, I mean, no, it, I, I, do, I do think there's something to that philosophy of like, if, if a business isn't growing, it's dying. But what that means for the people who interact with that business is that more wealth is generated. Like we, we don't, we're not on the gold standard, man. We, we no. have fiat currency. And what that means is we have a much more elastic ability to generate value and generate wealth and develop the standard of living that we have. Like it's good for businesses to want to grow because that means that they're investing more money. In theory, it means that they're giving more people livelihoods. Yes. They're producing more valuable products and services. Them wanting what to the, grow is not the problem. Them needing to show that they're growing is the problem. Because then that they have an incentive to issue. fake it. That's where the stock market comes in. We're like, is this ad company actually worth it? Or do they just make it seem like it is so you'll give them more money that doesn't mean anything because they didn't actually grow? Like Tesla, yeah, how, does, how does Tesla stock go up so much, but none of the fucking cars work and nobody gets them? And the owner is losing his mind actively in a very public and very embarrassing way. Right. So and one way that companies show a bunch of growth is that they're hiring. If you're hiring, then we're growing. If there's a hiring freeze, the first sign that there are going to be layoffs is if your company's like, okay, we're on a hiring freeze. Like, okay, fucking panic. Let's get your golden parachute out because someone's getting laid off and it could be you. So if they have a bunch of jobs posted, then they're like, okay, we're growing. Everybody can say, see, look, we're growing. Well, it turns out the Wall Street Journal did a huge anonymous survey of HR professionals and they were like, bullshit. Nope, not true Absolute at all. Absolute horse. You, crazy. You, you talk about you talk about the, the benefits of living with your family unit. Mm. You talk about yeah, your family loves you. Your company does not love you. Does not. No. Your company does not care about you at all. And we we've said that on the show umpteen times. I genuinely believe it. No company gives a single ounce of shit about any employee. I, now for the managers out there, we know that there are at, there's at least one manager in the audience, Dad. There are a couple and for, sure. for, for anybody out there who's listening who is a manager, I genuinely believe that there is a huge distinction between the manager who cares about the well-being of his or her employees and the company caring about the employees. There are a lot of really important, really great management skills. Dale Carnegie had his like all-time classic, How to Win Friends and Influence People. Yeah. His, his shtick was, it's really good to make people feel like they're liked and valued. And the best way to make somebody feel like you like and value them is to actually care about them. Yeah. You, you actually like the, the, Crazy. the biggest shortcut to get from, from a meeting somebody to making them think you think they're important is to actually think they're important and, and dedicate your resources in a way that is commensurate with that companies now 
we've talked about this a long time ago with like the the 80s and 90s kind of right sizing retrofitting lean and effective management sort of approach to business that makes executives look really good the people who are looking at spreadsheets and trying to justify their their existence and reducing costs and all that kind of stuff that model has totally undercut the the, the value of managers who actually yes. care about their employees because yeah. it demonstrates definitively in the form of a paycheck or a pink slip that the company does not give a shit about you yeah. and they will immediately gut you if it means that it's better returns for people on the board. Yeah, and it's, 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 it's also like, and we're not saying that the people that are your boss don't care about you. You're, your bosses may care about you a lot and the people that work at the company may care about you a lot, but a company is an entity and whether or not to cut you or keep you is a simple decision that nobody will spend an ounce of time thinking about. Like this is right, it. yeah, and and this Wall Street Journal survey of these companies that are trying to make it look like they're growing, they're trying yeah. to to generate the appearance of progress and development and growth and success in a capitalist market. That is, I think, more proof that the company just does not have your best interests at heart. It will never have your best interests at heart. And the the, the findings from this survey, Nick, are they're shocking, astounding. So there's more than a thousand people that were surveyed. About a quarter of them, of these HR professionals, and these were, I believe, the majority of the people that were surveyed were like higher level in the HR department. They weren't like low level uh, workers. And I trust the Wall Street Journal. I've, I've said that a lot in the past. I, they, I think that the survey, they will have verified these people and whatnot. But a quarter of these people reported that their company has job listings uh, that have been up for four months, right? So like they, but they're not trying to actively fill them. One yep. quarter of these more than a thousand people said that their company had job openings that were posted that they are not looking for. They're just like, they're on the internet. No one gives a shit. So I, I follow this kind of labor market, TikTok people. And they're like, yeah, I, let's, let's, let's count how many jobs have applied for. And people are, are turning in a ratio of a callback to job applied for at like well below 1%. It's like one per like three or 400 for people. Like people have applied to about 1,200 jobs. They're like, yeah, I've gotten three or four phone or interviews, but nothing's happening. Which is like, there's a labor shortage, allegedly. No, there's a flipping burger shortage. There's not a career, career shortage. There's quite the opposite. That is a lot of jobs that are just posted on Indeed and LinkedIn and whatnot. Yeah, it's, it, it's crazy. Like the numbers absolutely do not speak for themselves. There's much more to this story here. It's, it's, yeah. it's shocking to me, but it makes a lot of sense. So like from the point of view of the company, if you have to succeed, if you have to look like you're growing, mm -hmm. you want people to see like, oh yeah, open jobs. We're, we're hiring. We're bringing people on board. This is really great. More than a quarter of those jobs are, appear to be horse hockey according to this survey. They're just there. And what this looks like from the point of view of somebody who is like, say you're working at your dream tech job and some crazy guy who has recently, is like the most divorced man in the world decides to lay you off. And now suddenly you have to take your computer science degree and your lifestyle that you've become accustomed to in California. And you have to find a way to like try to replace that at some other company. You apply for the job. Go through rounds of interviews, maybe. You get a bunch of responses from apparent recruiters, and nothing happens. And for months and months, you do this for you know hundreds of dozens of jobs, hundreds of jobs, in some cases, thousands of job applications, and you get nothing. The reason for that, in large part, and, and this, isn't, this isn't like a slim section of the jobs market. This is like a huge, this is shocking reporting to me. A large contribution to that is that a bunch of those jobs are never going to be filled at all. And yes. there's, there's another part to this. There's another component. It's not just that the company has to look like it's growing. It's also that the company 
might be placating its employees mm-hmm. because according to that same survey, yes, one third of the managers hired who are advertising these jobs of these 9.9 million job openings said they were not trying to fill the job at all. And the reason they had posted it was to placate employees who were complaining about being overworked. Yes. So that on a team of five, if they say, look, we need a team of 10, we need to double in size. The company says, okay, great. We're opening hiring right now. Look, employees, you can go on our website and make referrals. And look, here's the job openings. You can point people to this. We're trying to get you the support that you need to help grow this team. And they say, great, this is excellent. Just in just a few more months, we'll have more people pretty soon. Two, three months go by. They're still hiring. They're still hiring. And all this, the, the, the hiring process is, is opaque. The company is under no obligation to let employees in on like the interview and hiring process. Yeah. So they can just say, we're working it. We're working it. We're working it. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you know, you, you heard that comparison, like low level employees are like mushrooms. You feed them a bunch of shit and keep them in the dark. No, that is amazing though. What a quote. Yo, that's a, that's a, that's a, I, I think that's, I first heard that from dad, but I mean, obviously. That sounds like an Elon that. Musk quote. It, it's it's a something quote, but it's it's the way that and and this is a perfect example of a company being able to do that, where they could say like, oh yeah, we got the job opening, we're we're working on hiring, so just mm-hmm. keep plugging away and keep at it, and when the other employee gets here, will they can hit the ground running, and you'll get the support you need pretty soon. You know, a year goes by and they haven't made any movement, and the employee is still continuing to work. They're still. So I think that this is still, a negative of. I think this is a negative of the work from home thing. This is so. What have I experienced? I've been working from home since 2018, so far before. Like I knew. Well, like I said many times, I knew what Zoom was years before the pandemic. Like I've been doing this <laughs> like, for a long like time. A boom, I've been working from home since house music was called techno. That's exactly. That's exactly right. Back when it was a, a new phenomenon, and one thing I learned was that the silos that go up between you and other people that you work with at your company are enormous. Like even it doesn't matter the size of the company. It just, it just is a natural thing. Like, you don't bump shoulders with anyone. There's no reason that a lot of people that don't need to be at meetings just don't go. Like companies are much more efficient theoretically. However, if this was a, at a physical office where there are cubicles and stuff, say you had a friend that works in another department, like, oh, I would like to work for you guys. They apply for that job. I think that I genuinely think that that kind of thing would get sniffed out if people were in the office because people would from the company would want to move up to the company. And then you would ask your manager, what's going on with this? And at some point they'd be like, uh, I don't know. You're just not a right fit. Like bullshit. I'm not the right fit. I'm already here. I just go to this office. I do that work for $5,000 more a year. Like why? It's not even yeah. that much more money. Like why not do that? And they're like, shh, we need you to do your thing. And like, this isn't real. This is crazy. Gonna, and the, the amount draw, of people that are doing it is what's crazy. It's not like one or two like anecdotes, like hundreds of companies are doing this. It's, it's, it's all over the place. And of course, you know, when pressed on it, like the, the wall street journal article lists some examples, like, like indeed.com is like the, well, indeed.com is like the, the source. Yeah. Job finding company that they're, yeah. that they're quoting. So they're not, they're not really an example of that, but like, uh, what is it? Wayfair. Wayfair. So somebody is That's like, Oh yeah, company, I went right? through this interview process at Wayfair yeah. and blah, blah, blah. And it, it turned out to be nothing. Uh, and then of course, Wayfair says, well, you know, we don't post, we don't post ghost jobs. We're trying to fill every application we have available. They're probably just lying. How did you know what it was then? Lying about that. How did you know what a ghost job was then? Right. Like, well, we don't post ghost jobs. We intend to fill it. Like, there's no company in the world that's like, yeah, actually, all of our job postings are fake. You got us. <laughs> yeah. And or, or like, oh no, it's it's part of our genius strategy. Like, oh, we try the utmost. They, they said we make every effort to treat candidates with care. Bullshit. 
They don't care at all about the candidates. They care about the bottom line. And yeah. if they actually happen to need to hire somebody, they'll hire them. If they don't, they don't. And yeah. it it doesn't, like, there's nobody, there's no means of accountability. So, like, any corporate statement about that should be treated like the crock of shit that it is. It's it's just, it's not, and it's not like these companies are, like, nefarious and evil. They're incentivized by the system in which they're trying to play. They're incentivized by trying to look like they're growing, and they're incentivized by trying to keep the employees productive but quiet. They don't want they don't want rabble rousing. They want people to be placated. They don't want people try, causing problems. Saying like you know what, I'm going to leave this company if if you don't give me help because then all of a sudden they actually do need to start hiring and then they're not growing. They are dying. Right. It, it it's just it's it's crazy to me. But you know from their point of view it makes sense. And, and like you said, it's much more comfortable and much easier to do that if you don't like the managers don't have to like see the people that mm -hmm. they're working with every day who are like in line for promotions or like actually make contact. And you know, Nick, there's another, there's another element to this that we haven't really talked about that I think is a smaller player, but it's a significant player, a huge rise in scams, genuine, yes. actual scam, like illegal scams, not, not companies like ghost hiring. That's, that's, that's a, you know a scam in like the pejorative sense of the word. This That's is like fraud. an actual. Yeah. Well, like, that this is actual fraud. That's bullshit. This is fraud. Yeah, this this is genuine fraud. So, according to earlier reporting from the Wall Street Journal, this was from January this year. Uh, there was a huge number of job scams, like fake hiring posts. Like somebody would post a fake job, so somebody would get a fake interview, and they would get a fake letter of of. Uh, employment or whatever and then they would get like an invoice that says like okay if you're going to work remotely from this job you need to like buy a computer and buy this and buy that so that's going to come out of your first paycheck but it'll come back to you and we'll reimburse you later so send us like three thousand dollars to pay for this stuff now and then we'll get it to you later guys player three we would never give you financial advice ever. we would never give you legal advice so We're don't construe this that do way so. right but if anybody ever asks me for money i am telling them no period because it's a scam there's no job that you're ever going to have to take that's going to require you to give money over. Do not fall for that. And this, this is a problem. Like the journal reported on this, and they said the number of jobs scams that were reported tripled between 2019 and 2021, in large part because of the pandemic, in large part because it's easier to generate a scam when people don't have to like drive to their job interview. There are over 100,000 scams reported to the FTC in between 2019 and 2021 just crazy to me. so like in in and amongst all of the like jobs postings that are fake in the sense that the company was never going to hire anybody for that job anyway there are also fake job postings that are straight up predatory and they're trying to get you to pay them money because yeah. it's a scam because it's yeah. fraud because you're so desperate for a job you just want attention they're pre preying on people and fraud is a, a a really good indicator of terrible economic times as well because there's no other way to make money honestly so it's a good indication that things are going poorly um for the most part that hasn't been scientifically proven but it's been essentially proven there's one other thing that's kind of interesting that i think <laughs> not is, scientifically but essentially yeah it's one of those things where it's like <laughs> that's like that's like that's like michael scott he's like oh yeah it, i i uh, i knew exactly what to do but in a much God more real damn sense, it. i had no what idea I'm, what to do all right, nerd. What I meant to say was uh, correlation is not causation. Oh, there we go. Okay. There we go. Okay, nerd. That's essentially proof. Correlation being causation. Most that is the whenever correlation and causation are different, that is the exception to the rule, which is important scientifically. But also, like, hey, all these people that die are they're dying of lung cancer. What do they have in common? Well, they smoke. Well, we can't prove it. Like, well, that's true. But maybe we can. Let's find out instead of taking 40 years. Anyway. There's like there's like a rotating constellation of correlation is not causation and Occam's razor and like yeah. looks like a duck, quacks like a duck. Like that those ideas are all swimming around right now. We're 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 in it. Yeah. <laughs> so there's 
there's one other thing that I find interesting. This is from Mother Jones. Mother Jones is like a tad lefty. It's a progressive organization, no. but it's it's a um, it's like NPR, but of words like writing, <laughs> essentially. <laughs> Like uh, it's supported it's like, by it's the like people. It's like npr.com, but a different website. But like they're good at writing or um, .org or whatever. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, you see, mm-hmm. uh, they they had a report and they do good journalism. And as a good journalist, I can tell you, as a good journalist, you like that. My damn fine reporting. Yeah, incredible. The, they they have a report where they're looking into the electricians marketplace, the job marketplace for electricians. And what they're finding is that it's not a shortage of people that want to go to work as electricians. And this is they looked at places like San Francisco, which is really like, again, it's a, this is a, it is a mess, what's going on there politically, like economically, so that may be not the greatest example. But they look at these different places in Northern California, and all of these people that want to be electricians and want to have a career as an electrician, maybe they want to join a guild or a union, like, this is good work, I can feed my family, you make, you know, tens of thousands of money. dollars a year. Yeah, it's great. And it's a, it's a skill. We literally, we talked about this earlier. It is a skill. The problem is that Nobody has the money, time, or interest in having apprentices. Nobody's teaching anybody how to do this work. You can't go to school to be an electrician. You can. It's not widely taught at state schools, like wherever you would go to college. Some places, community colleges will teach this. But there are community colleges that won't. They do liberal arts and some business and some engineering and stuff. Nobody teaches this kind of thing. And now these people that are applying for these jobs are like, I don't have any experience. I thought that maybe you could do that, and then I will work here. That would be great. Nobody will do it. And I don't think it's limited to electricians. There are hints that this is happening in a lot of trades. Like I call them the, the house call people, plumbers and people that do wall and carpet and things like the, the expertise that you need. Nobody's teaching anybody how to do that kind of thing. These company, And why would the companies go out of their way to take the money and do it when they can just keep circulating the same people? But now they're being stuck with the check on this because they are all just hiring the same group of people. They're just like bouncing from here. It's like the NFL. Like you trade that player, this player, that player. There are no new draft picks coming in learning how to, how to, how to be an electrician. Yeah. That's a, that's a significant problem for that sector of the economy. This is not as uh, well researched or well read, but what you said reminded me of a, of an article that I read years ago. And then this would have been like in the 20, 2010, like 2014, 15, 16 timeframe. There was a story about how millennials are starting to do more like trade-based jobs. Yeah. Of course, so millennials are not like the talk of the town anymore. It's it's Gen Z that's like the next <laughs> yeah. generation. Sure. But at the time, millennials were in the sights of all like, oh yeah, we're writing about the next wave of workers. And this particular article outlined the ways in which a lot of millennials are starting to do things like pick up trades in ways that they were kind of reversing trends on education. Like fewer people were actually going to universities to get like liberal arts degrees or whatever and starting to go into trade schools. But the thing that the article said was the characteristics of the jobs that the people were picking up were not the really unsexy, boring, out-of-the-way work like plumbers and electricians. They're the like kind of artisan trades like yeah. blacksmiths and butchers. So <laughs> like if if you can if you can TikTok it and it's going to look really appealing, or if you can like Instagram it and like not not just learn a skill but also like make a brand for yourself in a performative way. That was the type of trade work that millennials were doing. And and like I said, th- th- that doesn't feed into this discussion as much, except to say as like, oh yeah, that's a little bit of confirmation bias for me, like. People don't want to become an electrician because it's hard, it's complicated, and you can't really do it in the public eye in the way that you can, like, uh, like people are going to watch YouTube channels of, like, oh, here's how to butcher a cow for a five-star restaurant. They're not going to watch, like, oh, yeah, some guy wanted to install cable, so I went and installed his cable. Like, that's that's not as, it's not as satisfying, it's not as pleasing, it's not as valuable in the performative space. So... 
that, yes, I guess but that's a I will. Oh, rare. I am on renovation TikTok, and electricians fighting with like the people that do the walls and stuff is one of my favorite beefs. Interesting. Ever. All right. They so okay. So so maybe that. So maybe hard. that's not true anymore. Maybe that's not the case. Everything is on TikTok. I, I'm telling you, there are millions of videos with millions of views that you would never find. Like it's crazy because of the. We'll also try. The, so so the, sorry the to faking. the state of Montana. They're, they're faking the views. They're faking them. They're no. Those videos don't have that many views. No, that's crazy. You, you don't think. Also, shout out to Montana for banning the app TikTok. You just go to TikTok.tv. It'll be fine. Yeah, you know what? I, <laughs> controversial, I mean, opi- controversial opinion. Like, people shouldn't have TikTok, but they uh, do. Yeah, or TikTok shouldn't be in China. We should have saved that. Microsoft should have figured that out a long time ago, but here oh we are. God. We did that episode. Uh, the other thing, real quick. The National Security Leak that happened, the hack the dude on God. Discord happening because he wanted to talk shit on Discord and the, the country and the people that run the country being so fucking old and not understanding how IT works that a 21-year-old has top secret clearance is one of the craziest, stupidest things I've ever seen in the history of the world. That's unbelievable. The, he literally the, got no, called a we're, cuck we're gonna, and then he... We're going to name and shame. We're, yeah. we're going to name and shame. Sure, all right. Player three, if you think you're a hero for revealing national security information, you are a traitorous piece of shit. Sure. Period. Especially we're if not, you're we're, employed we're by the people, yeah. Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm not your friend. I'm not on your team. I'm not on your side. You are not, you're not saving the American people. You're not promoting some just cause. You are putting people's lives in danger, and you're a piece of shit. Did Jack you see Teixeira. the chats on this? What's that? What's his name? Jack Teixeira. Jack, Jack Teixeira. Teixeira. Like Mark Teixeira, the baseball player, but Texiera Teixeira. Yes. Um, yeah. He leaked this. Did you see the chats on Discord of why this happened? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He got called a cuck. They call, yeah, called he a pussy. To- he wanted to win arguments online. Yes. This like this afraid lost little boy who went off and joined the army and somehow got a clearance and was able to access all that information and just kind of threw it out into the ether so that he could look cool and tough online to a bunch of teenagers. That is the height of cowardice. And if you player three are listening to this and you think, yeah, no, that Jack Teixeira was good. No, that it was it was good to have this kind of like you should turn off this podcast and go think about your your actions. Like, go yeah, sit in the I corner, th- be ashamed. You need to be better. I, we're not friends. I do. I don't mind whistleblowing um, if it's whistleblowing, not if it's just... There are, there are whistleblowing mechanisms. Yeah. It is, It is. Yeah. It, furthermore, it is illegal yes. for the thing. U.S. government to classify information on the grounds that it will avoid embarrassment for an organization or individuals. Yeah, so that's, that's that kind of, like, whistleblowing, it's like, oh, they're keeping the secret so they don't look bad. Like, that is against federal law. And yeah, there are thousands the of people of who have access to that information who would know well enough, who would be able to use the appropriate apparatus. If you're just like out there leaking classified infos because you want to look cool or like edgy to your friends or you want to impress people, you suck and I'm your enemy. Well, he's, I, I haven't said abreast of this story, but this dude's he's going to prison, right? Like, he's going to like big boy prison. Like, yeah, like, like for real, for of, real jail. Yeah, like, this is going to be bad. Like, this ruined his life just trying to be a hero of the Gen Z. And this jobs market is the social capital problem. And the problem when you have no social capital is you get cowards and weenies like that. (sighs) Chris, for episode 74, I fear that we're going to have to do a debt ceiling episode. Uh... Bumping up against the debt ceiling. We're like Charlie and his grandpa in that one part of Willy Wonka when they drink the fizzy lifting drinks. What is the purpose of winning World War One and winning and World War Two if we can't just put it on the plastic, baby? Let's get That's that credit. That's what I'm up. saying. Spend, mm. spend, spend. Let's do it. 